I feel like I'm on TV. Oh, no, I need mean radio. You're not on TV. You're just in Nate's little have Kevin having a little combo. Okay. Does it change? Eh? It's already changed the dynamic. I mean, has it though? I feel like we're in such like a weird generation of like recording all of the things that we do and say and boogie and so it's not too bad. Okay. Stage fright's at like level four out of ten. You wish there was a dobie, eh? Just have a little blemeting and chill. Yeah. Yeah, that might be good. I don't know why why I did this eight in the morning. I was like, all right, eight in the morning? I was like, fuck, I've got a busy day. I don't, that's my day off, but I've got... All the things. Things. Um, Sam. Sammy, Sammy. Yes. <laughs> How, can you remember the first time we met? I was actually trying to think about that this morning. And I... No tapping. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like a nervous teenager, eh? Um, I can you remember the first time we met? No, I asked you that question because I can't. I think the first... But I already knew that you were fucking cool. I feel like we met properly through Anna Lou and Eddie, but I'd met you through, like, lots of different people and we'd met out nah, and about. I'm going to tell you when we met. Go on. Okay. So you're lying to me. Yes. So we were at Revive Festival. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that just gave me, like, a bodily reaction. So we were at but Revive... You remember this. We were at Re- Revive Festival and it's like this festival after New Year's in Gisborne and it's like a wellness festival and we got partnered up in this <laughs> massive group. Me and you got partnered and we had to stare at each other for in the soul minutes. and yeah. the eyes for five minutes straight, which was quite a crazy thing to do because you wouldn't ever do that with anybody. Yeah, hard. Sit in silence. And then you talked about... After what you felt? I think we had to like give a, so it was five minutes each. So first we started off with that like hectic eye contact thing. Um, and then we had to summarize our life within five minutes. It was something like that. Yeah. And or, you talked about your dad. I'm pretty sure you talked about like deep stuff. And then we were like, oh yeah, this chick's cool. Oh, you know, that's what I was thinking. Anyway. Oh my That's god! I completely spaced on that. It was probably a trauma response. And then we became <laughs> face, Facebook friends, maybe. Yeah. And maybe I didn't add you or something like that. But we've got no, a little theme going on here, don't we? Because ever since Revive, whenever it's around New Year's time or our mutual friends have a party, for some reason you and I always end up sitting in a cute little spot talking about all the deep and meaningfuls, like at least once a year. That's good. And we're going in today. Yeah, we're going in. Okay, Sam. What the fuck do you do? Oh, mate, that's like... What do you do for people that... Um, the question. That they actually really... I don't know you. They don't know you. You're listening to you right now. What do I do? Okay, well, I guess to summarize in my current reality, <laughs> I'm a Tyler, an apprentice Tyler, um, and... I'm in the midst of working through my apprenticeship um, and as of last month, it's so weird to say this out loud, I'm about 83% completed. So I've got the last leg of the apprenticeship kind of coming up. Um, 
but I feel as if I've lived many former lives and I feel like a lot of artistic people can really relate to that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I can. Yeah. What's your past, like, because, well, what's your, what's, what's your past lives? Do you want to just go deep and from the beginning? Sure. Okay. Because um, I'm interested. So how does this story begin? I think it, to, to kick it off, to get a bit of a like sense of my person, um, I grew up in South Africa in Johannesburg in the 90s post-apartheid. So that paints a little bit of a picture. And it was my mum and I, and she used to have this um, yellow... I think it was a Toyota Corolla and it was terrible. Like this car barely worked. I have this really defining memory of my mum and I going up a a big hill, but her brakes didn't work. And so she would just press down on the accelerator while we're like waiting and trying to get to the top of this hill, blasting like David Bowie or the Eagles and just kind of rocking back and forth to stay oh in God. our spot. Um, so, yeah, grew up in Johannesburg. Um, moved to Australia when I was about eight years old and funnily enough, actually, moved on the on the night of Mardi Gras. Sorry, and no, so, no, sorry. like, picture this. You've got a small family, like a nuclear family of South Africans that have just moved from, like, at that point in time, one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Arriving in Australia, like true blue, on Mardi Gras night with no preconception of what Mardi Gras night is about, with our hotel right in da- Darling Harbour, my poor mum and my stepdad were <laughs> mortified. Oh they were like, God. what on earth is going on? Is this normal? Does this happen all the time? Um, it's hard to imagine, but yeah, fuck. It was such a hoot. I remember, like, as a kid, personally being like, I've made it. This is my place. You know, flashing lights, people having a great time, wild outfits. How old were you then? I was eight. Oh, yeah. So I was quite a small person. It felt like an adult party that I shouldn't have been invited to, which we weren't, but we went. We conquered. (laughs) Um, Anyway, and then, yeah, ended up in Australia going to about 13 schools. Um, and finish up my last year in Toronto of high school and then moved back to Australia. And at that point, yeah. Bruh. Sorry, no fucking tapping. Sorry, it, what is it with me in the, the my, my, El, El Tapo? <laughs> <laughs> just going to give me a name. You're like, don't do it. I just repetitively do it. Um. Yeah. Yes. So you did so, your last high, sc- high school year in Toronto? It was a funny one. So I was in the midst of my exams and then the final, um, my final two exams were coming up within the following week. And this was in 2008, just as the financial crash had happened. And the first thing to go were like all of the visas. So I remember I got home on a Tuesday and my poor mum was like, I'm so sorry, we are going back to Australia. You're getting on a plane on Thursday. And I remember as a little person, well, not so little, I would have been, what, 17 going on 18. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? So I packed up my things that day. On the Wednesday, went to 
say goodbye to all of my friends. Whoa. And then on Thursday, I was just on a plane back to, to Aussie. And when we arrived back in Australia, the only thing I could do was get temporary, um, like, credit. So I had to reapply to go to a polytech in Australia to get those last two credits. To finish high school or to, to finish? finish, like, like you- all of my credits. Yeah, okay. Because okay. my entire school portfolio was, like, 13 schools, three countries. <laughs> so oh I don't really think they knew what to do with yeah. me anyway. Um, <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So this is the what, beginning. Yeah. And did you, were you doing like artistic stuff over when you were in school? Like what was your... So funny you bring that up. I could not concentrate for the life of me um. in classes like maths or science or like you could see it already. I was just <laughs> so disengaged. <laughs> And the ironic thing was I, I remember saying always in math class, like, why am I learning Pythagoras theorem? This this is bullshit. Like, I'm never going to use this. Yeah. And now I'm a Tyler <laughs> and I have to use it. <laughs> Classic. So that's pretty crack up. Um, but art was always my favourite and I always got along the best with my art teachers. Always. Um, but in Melbourne, I went to Brighton Secondary College And if by any chance anyone from Brighton Secondary College 2009 graduation, g'day guys, (laughs) Um, we weirdly were also all the extras for Summer Heights High. So our entire year grade was disrupted with Chris Lilly and his antics, which was fabulous, by the way. Um. But during that time period, I feel like our entire year was just disengaged from school because Chris Lilly was in town. Was he was he big back then when he was like making the show? Yeah. Oh, it was already a thing. He was already. It was already the the, the an Aussie legend. Ah. Because he'd done some other like previous mockumentaries. That. Yeah. But I think Summer Heights High kind of exploded. Yeah. Which no one. Well, we didn't expect it. Yeah. And then you got famous because you're just, you were in it. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're in the background. You got I famous. I got an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> Best extra of 2009. Did you ever scroll back and try and find your, um, oh, your little part? It's turbo embarrassing, but I'm actually in so many of the episodes. Really? And I, oh it, it hurts my feelings a lot because I feel like you think about your 13, 14 year old self. And you're going through puberty at that stage. It's like, that just needs to stay there. But my puberty era is in high definition of a mockumentary <laughs> show. <laughs> so whenever I rewatch it or when my best friends send it around to other mates for lols, oh my God. I have to relive the trauma, but it's pretty great. Fucking hell. Someone needs to send me some of that. Can you send me some? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> My favourite, I think, scene that we ever filmed was um, when Chris Lilly was in a gigantic pillowcase, like a stretchy pillowcase, and we all had to sit around in a circle and he was doing like this alternative dance. (laughs) And before we started filming, he said something like, I'm acting out um, trauma or something, and then put on this 80s electronic music and just started like flailing his limbs about. <laughs> and we were instructed not to laugh, but how can you not? It's a grown man dressed oh as a God. like an Aussie <laughs> drama teacher. That is, it was such a good show. 
<laughs> it was. It, I mean, it still is. I probably, if I watched it back, it probably is still fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay. So yes. Then, so wait. That was high school era, with and then yeah, I guess after high school, I didn't really know what on earth to do with myself, um, as you know, most fresh eighteen-year-olds wouldn't. Mm. So I did a bunch of stuff. I worked at you know coffee, um, coffee shops, which was a weird time. <laughs> did you just go straight into the world after that? After yeah. high school, you didn't go. I'm going to go study some blah 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 and do what everyone else is doing. Absolutely no desire for me to want to go to university. Yeah. Um, I think I was traumatized from studying in high school, let alone wanting to continue that. Yeah. So I was really keen to get out into the world and actually just get to see it for exactly what it, what it is. And I'm glad that I did that early. It d- definitely defined like me and where I'm at now mm. um, in comparison to, I guess, the friends that I know that have been to uni, the ones that decided it wasn't for them and cut that short or followed it, you know, all the way through to graduation. But let's be honest, how many people do we know that actually use their university degrees? Exactly. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Education is important. I mean, yeah, it's quite interesting to think about if if I was to not have done uni. But, like, did you – because – did you have any kind of dreams or aspirations at that age, at 18, when you left school? Like, I want to be this, I want to, or did you not? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think for me growing up, I always wanted to be a professional ballerina. So from the age of four to 16, stage left, um, I wanted to be a ballerina and I graduated at 16. And so the last couple of years of high school, I wasn't really sure what on earth I was going to do with myself. What because happened to the ballerina I just, I just loved it so much. Well, when I was 14, they said, okay, you've got two options. You can either quit school now and become a full-time dancer And that could possibly result in you becoming a teacher or, you know, um, swinging a rose back and forth um, for the Australian Ballet or whoever. And I had done a few auditions and competitions and things like that. But um, we were the first kind of immigrants from our family that had left South Africa. And so my mum was very, like, conscious of the fact that this was already such a huge opportunity for us to be in a a new land with so much opportunity ahead. Um, And also just that huge element of safety, you know, you can progress your life Mm. um, so much faster and with so much more ease in a developed country in comparison to that of South Africa, where there are different struggles. Um, And so I guess I was trying to channel the fact that, you know, I was breaking a pattern And no one in my family had been to university at that stage. Um, But, yeah, it didn't really sit for me at that point. Mm. So I knew I wanted to do something that would make me some cash. Let's just say, you know, it's what made my (laughs) cash as 18, you know. (laughs) You're broke for 18 years. (laughs) So what did you want to do for cash? What was the thing? You could do lots of things for cash. Oh, do you know what? There's so many interesting things about 
going on a job interview as an 18 year old and trying to make up skills that you have and then like being your awkward self sitting there in front of like a real adult that's how I remember thinking about it this is a real adult and then they ask you questions like (laughs) what was a challenging time in your previous role that you yeah you're like like um I I uh I all of my studies and my exams yeah. and my my assessments were in on time. Um that, well I had a job interview, I remember this quite vividly. It was so <laughs> terrible. It was in uni. It was for Amazon, that like surf skate thing. And they asked me if I had any habits. habits. Like bad habits or habits that you that you did. I was like yeah, like sometimes I pick my nose. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not the right thing to say. But also, like, three points for humor. No, well, I wasn't even being humor. humor. I wasn't even being humorous. I think I was like seriously, like, I pick my nose sometimes. Um, Just really literal, like, not yeah, even like thinking that's about a bad it. habit, isn't it? Like, not like a bad work habit that in my work. Like, it doesn't interfere my like, work. That guy's gonna be picking his nose and putting in the clothes like <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. I actually love that so much that's the best thing ever um but oh gosh this is so traumatic my first job was a fundraiser so I went to an interview from like a, a very mysterious ad that I'd found um in Australia and I think it was something like oh, it was like, want to meet new people and make new friends? And I was like, yes, yes. And then it was like, get paid at a base rate of however much it was an hour, Yeah. plus bonuses. And, you know, ignorance is bliss. I was like, yes, this sounds great. New people, new friends, whatever, base wages. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I ended up working in sales fundraising for -for not-for-profit charities for like three and a half years. Oh my god! Were you were you the person that stands out on the street, on the waving street. at people, getting told all sorts of colourful, colourful responses? I feel like that would have no. been a great job for you, though. It was excellent. Like I've never been told to f off so much <laughs> in my entire life, but also like the resilience that you build from getting told no in so many different colourful ways is kind of refreshing because nothing really hits you after that. <laughs> That's amazing. First few days, of course, it hurts. You're like, I think about 100 people told me to F off today. (laughs) Or like, get out of my way or whatever it is. But um, I met, I actually did really meet the most incredible people. um, And I learned a lot of life life skills um, from that role. Just the simple stuff like rocking up on time, like knowing where you're going (laughs) on (laughs) and why. you know, saying what you mean and meaning what you say, all of these like little golden nuggets of information that I yeah. think I still carry with me now into my 30s. So if you're 18 and listening to the podcast, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but I kind of would. Go do fundraising for a hot minute. Just go do go whatever, rejected. really. Yeah. Learn, yeah. How to, learn how to be um, successful in being told to F off. Yeah, it's a great skill. <laughs> <laughs> so after your ballet yes. dream, did you did you fully give that like dancing dream up? And you're like, that's I'm not the dancer anymore. What's what was your yeah. new what was your new like? Oof, or you I didn't think have anything. I became obsessed with music. 
We have to remember that we had Walkmans when I was growing up. And before that we had literal tapes. So I went from tape to Walkman listening to the same CD over on repeat forever. Um, And like save up my pocket money to get a new CD. Yes. Fuck. Um, And my first CD was actually the Spice Girls. I still think that's the coolest thing ever. Um, And then we finally got the digital version, which was like, I don't even know if this brand exists anymore, but it was like a little Walkman that could hold a hundred songs. Maybe MP3 is the word I'm looking for. MP3, yeah, yeah. Not Walkman. Um, And my MP3 player at that point in my life just became, yeah, my best mate. Like, I'm on the bus. I'm listening to to my tunes, having a Dido moment, looking out the window. How did we do that? Did we used to get the the, um, music off the CDs onto the computer and then onto the MP3, right? Oh, and you've got to remember like Torrens. Do you remember? That was, yeah. LimeWire. You could download. Yeah, all the illegal downloading onto your poor computer. Oh, my gosh. Taking in all the viruses. Yes. (laughs) But those those are good. Those were the days. Those were the days. So I think I transferred my obsession with dancing to an obsession with music. And you've actually just reminded me of a very traumatic dance that I did in grade six with my best mate Lloyd and my other friend called Sam. And I'm pretty sure we actually did a dance performance in front of everyone at school in year six to like Sandstorm. (laughs) Why is is it traumatic? Traumatic traumatic because the dance moves were really average, but the music was good. (laughs) (laughs) But just imagine in the 21st century having like three, maybe 12-year-olds doing Sandstorm dance performance, attempting to do it in unison in front of the whole school. (laughs) I mean, I'd watch that. I wish it was recorded. And also, I don't think whoever's watching... I don't think they're judging that hard, you know? Nah. It's kind of iconic. Yeah. Like, I wish I knew what I was wearing for that performance. Like, and it would be the parents. Yeah. Unless they would like, your kid's a shit dancer. No. <laughs> <laughs> like. I mean, as an adult, if I was sitting in an audience yeah, and my we... kid did a dance performance to Sandstorm, I would be like, legend. Okay, yeah. Like, coolest cat. Coolest cat. <laughs> and what about if there was another another person's kid? I'd be like, that's a really great idea. Okay, so it's still cool. My, See, exactly. my kids' shit. So it was great. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, so then how the fuck... Okay, you went... Went from fundraising to um, working with UNICEF Australia. So I was actually in that industry for quite a long time, um, doing operations and recruitment, um, and I loved it. I loved the people that it attracted. I loved speaking to people from all over the world, from different cultures and different religions that had different perspectives in the world and and being able to, like, be in a position of giving someone who's new to Australia, like, an opportunity to, to work. Mm. That point was really difficult. Um, it was just, yeah, incredible company. So I worked that company for three years um, and then another two, I guess, fundraising companies for maybe another year. UNICEF Australia, and then I kind of moved to New Zealand. What'd you do 
in New Zealand. Oh man. Did you move to New Zealand by yourself or with your family? By myself. Ah. Yeah. But the story of getting here was fabulous and kind of kind of iconic. Yeah, well, <laughs> Have you heard this story no, I yet? Don't know. No, I haven't. Oh, so for the universe out there, um, at any point your life could be changed. I was <laughs> I was living in Bondi and some new neighbours moved in downstairs. It was three tradies. And I woke up one morning at, at about 5am listening to Celine Dion on full blur. And I was like, what the heck is going on downstairs? This is outrageous. <laughs> and my bed was like set up right next to the window. So I just climbed up, opened the window and like very sassily poked my head out to check the balcony downstairs. And to my fabulous surprise, it was three young men with their dingalings out swinging in the wind, <laughs> listening to Celine Dion. <laughs> what? Uh, at early, early hours of the morning. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm going to become friends with these people, hands down, 100%. Like, this is fabulous. Three tradie men listening to Celine Dion. I don't think I'd have ever thought hour. that you'd see that. But that's a great. Oh, the visual was bloody great. <laughs> Probably saw more than I should have. <laughs> But that's just weird. I feel like that's quite straight. Like, I'm Uh, like, I can't even imagine three guys doing that now. But if we're in Australia, I think. Bang on. Yeah, bang on. Bang Bang on. Okay, so I'm now, I'm going to just piece this. I'll let you talk, say the story, but I'm piecing it together in my head as you just say it. So you met these three young, beautiful men. Three young, beautiful men. Um,. And months down the track, we all, yeah, became very good mates. We're like, let's go to a festival together. Let's go to Listen Out. So we went to Listen Out Festival, had a real great time, and I'd specifically bought myself this blue jumpsuit for the event. And it was made of, like, linen or something before linen was cool. This is years ago. I was 24 at this point. So we go to the festi and bringing out all the D, D, you know. D moves. D moves. Dance floor, breaking down moves. Yeah. And it, it, I've been there the whole day and sun's going down and we're watching some hip-hop performance. I think it might have even been, um, oh, you can cut this pit out because I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah, watching some hip-hop performance and then this Kiwi girl taps me on the shoulder and she was like, babe, your ass is out. And I was like, excuse me? She's like, your ass is out. Like your jumpsuit has ripped. And I remember in that moment, that was my friend Jenny, (laughs) reaching around the back of my jumpsuit and from midway down my back all the way down my bum, my jumpsuit had ripped clean. So one of those fabulous dance moves had just cut her loose. And I was unfortunately wearing a G-banger at this point. (laughs) So the squirrel was definitely in the wind. Um, and she very politely took me under her wing and we ran around with our good friend Maddie um, trying to find a gentleman to give me his shirt so I could cover my tush. Um, and two years later, after a trip to Vegas at another festi, I decided to move to New Zealand. And, she, yeah. Because of her. Because of her. Yeah, she's from Gisborne. So that was quite cool. Little. And did you move straight to Gisborne? Straight to Gisborne, never been to New Zealand before, had enough of the Bondi life. I know 
it is possible. I promise it Do is you, possible. Just, I don't even know if you surf. No. Didn't what? surf. Just love the beach, love the, the ocean, the cahoots. Amazing. Um, and what the fuck were you going to do in Gizzy when you thought you would arrive here? I was so unprepared, to be honest. I'd never been on one of those miniature planes before. <laughs> you know, the ones that take you from Auckland or Wellington to yeah, Gisborne. Yeah, yeah. And that freaked me the hell out because I've been on many planes in my time, but I'd never been You're on like, one I'm going to so die. <laughs> and then coming into Gisborne when you arrive, at that point we didn't even have a proper airport. It was just uh, a shed. Uh, so I was like, where are we landing? Where have, what have I done? What have I done? Oh, um, so that was pretty iconic. What did um, you do in Gizzy when you first got here? I ended up working in car finance oh for a hot minute. It was terrible. I didn't have the best time of my life, but it, it, paid, it paid all right. So I did car finance for a hot moment and then I worked with the Mind Lab for three and a half years, which was like a tech hub for kids. So we'd do like STEM, so lots of robotics, engineering, computational thinking, um, all sorts of like Rube Goldberg, such an iconic business Um, and worked there as a lab manager for three years. My mum thought that I would take blood from children, like a, what do you call people who take blood? A nurse. No, like a nurse. Nurse. No, 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 no. There's a name for it. Yeah, yeah. But that's what my mum thought I did for almost two years because oh. my title was lab manager and I was oh. like, no, mum, I work at a tech hub. And she's like, what does that mean? <laughs> and we were on repeat with oh this for a hot God. minute. Um, so I worked at the Mind Lab for three and a half years and absolutely loved every minute of that. Kids are in fact geniuses and are so creative um, and loved, absolutely loved kind of stepping into that space of watching kids learn and grow in a short space of time. You know, like a group of 35 kids would come through, would break them into groups of two. Um, they'd do 30 minute exercises and then swap. So one side would be robotics and the other side would yeah, be like digital yeah. animation or whatever. Um, and so I even learned a lot through that process, um, working with tech and with youth. Um, and straight after that, I worked at our local trust and then oh. for another organization called Rotsipiro Ora, doing like turbo you corporate move around, girl. life. Yeah. Been all around the block. Do and now I'm a Tyler. Yay. <laughs> do you feel like... Is there any point where you feel like you wanted to sit, settle into something? No. <laughs> no. Okay, cool. No. Yeah. Not at all. So, ta- some, okay. So I feel like some why people the, find why tiling? their... Like tiling, like what happened there? When you're used to sitting behind a desk and being compliant to instructions all day long, I think the my creative brain was just so craving like a physical and mental creative outlet. Like I just needed that so much Mm. and working in corporate, my creative outlet was always painting or writing or, you know, listening to music or whatever it might've been at that point. There was always a creative leak because so much of my day was glued to a computer 
writing emails, problem solving, this sort of thing. Mm. But then my physical body and my artistic self was just starved for something. Yeah. Um, and so after working with my previous um, role, which was like heavily administrative, um, I just needed something else. And so I was probably unemployed for about a month and I was left to sit and think about what I could do that I didn't know how to do yet. And the first thing that kind of caught my eye was um, tiled furniture. And I always wanted to step into that space because I absolutely just love um, artsy-fartsy kind of stage left furniture, like things that are unexpected. It's probably my realm of... (laughs) creativity like if you've seen my oil paintings of my faces I don't like anything too straight or anything too expected okay and so tiled furniture I was like whoa like this is such an epic um collaboration of like indoor and outdoor furniture but also beautiful tool like tiles just the tool of tiles yeah so diverse and I was like oh okay how do I how do I set myself up to enter this space and I knew I wanted to make tiled furniture, but I had no idea yeah, how to tile. tile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it's quite interesting that you went forth like that you were like, I'm just going to go through a full apprenticeship to, yeah. to, to get to that. And also maybe because it's a job or is that not the case? It's, it's a job, but to be fair, I think what, this is going to sound like I'm gloating now, but I think what my story rings true is that if you have a growth mindset, you actually can do anything. Like absolutely any person, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. If you really want to step into any space, whether that's creative or corporate or entrepreneurial or whatever, you can actually do it. Mm. You've just got to go in there and know that you're going to be failing a lot until it's more comfortable um, and so f- for me, I'm not shy to, to, to failing. Yeah. And I'm also a very clumsy person. So <laughs> I'm very comfortably Great. uncomfortable all of the time. <laughs> um, and so stepping into that space was, I knew going to be a challenge at that point. Um, and funnily enough, I bumped into Shanti, one of our, one of uh, our, yeah. our good friends um, after the Saturday market. And I, I obviously knew that she was working and operating the campground and that lots of renovations were taking place all of the time. And so we stopped and had a conversation about life and where we were at. And I expressed that I was really keen to step into creating tiled furniture and that I was seeking an apprenticeship or a female mentor specifically. And she said to me, this is the craziest thing. My dear friend has just posted that she's, she's seeking a female apprentice for tiling. And it was this crazy spark moment where it was like the universe really did provide, like I manifested my, my boss, my mentor, and she manifested me, her apprentice. So it was perfect kind of alignment of, of values Um, and after we met the first time, it was just kind of on, 
I think from the day I, I met her, a week later, I'd started tailing. Fucking on. So it was just absolutely on. Okay. But I definitely believe in that, hey. the Oh, yeah. Our ability to manifest things into our life is so, like, so incredible. Do you, do you intentionally do that now or do you, like... You know, do you like write things down or intentionally manifest or do you just like think about things and then they come true? That's such a good question. I, do you know what? I'm just going to say how it is, hey. (laughs) Yeah, hey, yeah. (laughs) I think that I'm probably more intentional about like, about my future and in terms of like what I want in my romantic relationships, like those things hit the paper. Ooh. But in terms of my career and what I want, I've, I've got more visual cues. Like I'll have multiple f- folders on my Facebook, my Instagram, my Pinterest of like visual inspirations for those things. Yeah. But in terms of manifesting or like actively writing that sort of stuff down or meditating on it, I'm probably a bit more action focused when it comes to my career pathways, whereas, or just my creative endeavors. But for some weird reason with my romantic (laughs) kind of aspirations. What are you right? Like, this is what I, this is the values I want in like. Totally. Yeah. 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 You know, the typical, we've all done it. It's shameful, but we do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did it. I did it when I split. You yeah, did. Yeah, I wrote I wrote those things. It's like, what would I, what do I actually want in a relationship and what do I want in someone that I want to spend my life with, you know, like Yeah, and it's yeah. weird putting that down, right? Cuz it but almost least, makes it real by like putting it on paper and being able to to see it yeah. and know that it came from you, like yeah. those intentions of literally being sought out by your mind. Yeah, big trap. Did you get what you asked yeah, for? Yeah, 100%. Met a beautiful 100%. lady. 100%. That was confident. That was um, so confident. Anyway, we're going to sidetrack because I feel like we've just been talking about your fucking career. I know, what? <laughs> and actually what interests me is I remember going to your flat once and it was with you and Steph and I went to hang out with Steph and do some drawing stuff and it was like one of the first times I met Steph as well. But your artwork was your artwork was all over the walls or you had oh. some artworks on the walls and there were these oil paintings. And I was like, who's the fuck are these? These are sick. <laughs> and they were like, oh, it's off 30 Sam. And then I remember you coming, coming into the room like that. Arvo anyway. And, um, and I was like, oh yeah, cool. It's Sam. <laughs> and like, we haven't talked about that side of you yet. So we're True. like, what, what happened to that? You, you like, it's quite funny that you talk about your, the way you talked about your life story didn't include that. Yeah, you're so tr- you're like right. what? What? How? Why do you feel that way? Like, why didn't you share any of that? Like, your the artistic mm. side of you. you s- it's a it's such a personal topic, and it's such a <laughs> you're like the question master. Like, no wonder you have a podcast. Um, I think I avoid talking about that that part because I like most artists for me I actually tend to put paintbrush to paper or to canvas or whatever 
when I'm in a negative mind state. So it's, it's actually like a state of processing for me, emotional processing, or if I'm at like a turning point in my life, or if I'm having like mental health challenges, or I'm just in a confused state. Like if I was to say that state was a meal, it would be spaghetti. You know, there's way too many lines over crossing each other. So it's a state of processing for me is usually when I put my paintbrushes to, um, to paper. Interesting. Um, and I, I do truly feel that some people are able to, to be incredibly artistic in state, states of pleasure and of pain. But for some weird reason, I definitely tend to sway more towards using it to process pain. Mm. And it's very ironic because a lot of my artwork, especially my oil paintings, are so colourful and so expressive and so... Um, I guess joyful, you know, that they're definitely eye-catching and a little bit a little bit weird and different. Yeah, um and so I I yeah, I guess I avoid talking about about that part because it's almost like a little bit triggering to revisit. So you have those memories attached of time. Yeah, yeah, you have these memories attached to your practice. Yeah. And do did you ever think at any point that you, like, I'm sure people told you, like, they're really great and they're really amazing pieces. Mm. Did it ever cross your mind, like, oh, maybe I want to be a practicing artist and do this oh. and paint? Or did. I would oh. love to paint more. And as I get older and I'm at, more at peace with myself and, and what I want to see in the world and the example that I set for for myself and working through my emotions and working through the, yeah, I guess the everyday big questions that pass through our mind, I would like to step into my art practice with a bit more positive intention <laughs> rather than a state of, yeah, I guess processing some of the harder stuff. Mm. Um, but there are so many people that inspire artwork and some of, some of the pieces of artwork that I didn't connect with the most others connect with a lot and that's another interesting relationship that I love about art practice yeah can I ask you one go going back just a little bit which is um why what's what's stopping you from doing that now now like painting more or nothing particularly stopping me from doing it I think about it a lot Mm. I dream quite vividly especially in states of like excitement or stress or um it's my way of cut it's my playground is my dream space and I love the surrealism that comes from like remembering your dream and waking up in the morning and writing it down and then trying to almost capture some of the essences of your dreams into into art yeah um it's all a question, I guess, of, of showing up for yourself and yeah. for your for your own art practice. And in this stage in my in my life, I'm most certainly focusing on my tiling and that art practice. And although it's also my source of income, I think that is for this moment my art practice. Yeah. Um and I'd love to like intertwine the two. 
if if I could, and I will. Um, but my paintbrushes and my oils and my pastels and my canvases and all of those fun things are for now just having some some breathing space. But we'll get back on them soon. You just you just tickle the pickle. You just wait, bitch. Yeah, just wait. Be patient. Yeah, just be patient. Yeah, that's that's cool too. Because usually something else is occupying your your time and yeah. your mind, and that's tiling at the moment. Definitely. But it's quite interesting because you talked about your love for music, and earlier this or later last year, or like sometime last year, maybe mid last year or later last year. You just started fucking DJing. Yeah. And I remember going to this gig and you were like, oh, I'm DJing at this gig with Shantae. <laughs> tell, can you tell me about your DJing? <laughs> How did oh. the DJing happen? How do you just pick up a new thing like that? By saying yes. Vulnerably saying yes. So was it not your idea or was it your idea? Um, it all spurred from a beautiful house party that we went to at our dear friend Simon's place last, I think it was last year, just on. Um, and we're all having a fabulous evening. And then it got to that point in the night where everyone just wanted to have fun, you know, just crack that beer open, not touch the tools and just have a great time. Um, and so there were a few people walking around being like, oh, who wants to go on Spotify next? And um, Shantae and I got asked if we'd like to play some music and we just played some epic bangers and people were like, what on earth? You two are, you know, cookies and cream intertwined. Um, We need more of this. And so I guess we just held that space and like continue to get hungry to figure out like how we could play in that space more. Yeah. Yeah. and I think that's a very key part of like all art practices is that playfulness. It doesn't always have to be so serious. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It could be as simple as buying the tools and knowing I know absolutely nothing about this thing, the CDJ or this DDJ or I this mean, tiling yeah. apprenticeship. <laughs> 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 but the willingness to go in and just give it a go. Yeah. Um, and so we bought the equipment and just spent hours essentially getting to know it and figuring out what we liked, what we didn't like, and putting playlists together and but playing did, with BPMs. And did anyone teach you specifically or did... We like, went to one class. Oh. Um, and where? In Online? Gizzy Local. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Um, this beautiful woman, um, her DJ name is Laura Lush. Is it? Yeah, DJ Lash, DJ Laura Lash. Oh, that's Laura. Laura, yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, And so she hosted a workshop. We attended one day to kind of figure out what buttons did what and how it even worked. Yeah, because they're quite intimidating pieces of equipment. I don't even know what they're called. Bought the, the, what is it? Oh, the decks? The deck, yeah. Yeah, the decks. Decks. The decks. Yeah. Um, We stepped into DDJs. But What's DDJ? DDJ, you're gonna have to have to ask a real DJ oh. for that one. <laughs> the CDJ, a DDJ. We've okay. got the DDJs, you're which good. are quite small. Yeah, I've uh, only yeah. got a DDJ 400 at the moment. Okay, cool. But I feel as that's if that's good enough to start. That's good enough to start. Okay, it's cool. Good enough to tattoo. Okay, that you can mix songs and 
Yeah. But real, I'm making it sound like I'm not a real DJ, but more professional, internationally recognised DJs use CDJs, which are like independent kits. It's where people would make their own music and their own mixes um, and then simply just plug that little, uh, what do you call them? Aux cord. No, the the (laughs) thing that holds all your music. MP3. Ah! No, no, no. The thing that hard drive. Hard, oh, yeah, hard, like drive hard drive or I was going to say floppy disk. A USB? USB. Oh, they still do that? They still do that. So that USB's got like all the music and you're like... All the tunes. Plug it into the CDJ. Yeah. And then, and then it just plays. And then it syncs like your music and you, the- you essentially don't have to live mix. It's all transitioned for you, so you c- you're kind of actually playing with your own independent track that you've made yourself. Yeah. Or it just hosts all of your beautiful music that you've, you know, collected over time. I see, yeah. And then what the fuck, what's the difference between people that live mix then? What are they on? Oh, there's so... Are they so, on some other, other thing? There's so many ways of skinning a cat, eh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you're on the CD, you're on the G, J, D, D, D. The A, B, C, D, J's. <laughs> okay, you, you started though. That's the most amazing thing. We've begun the journey. We're giving it a go. Yeah. We're giving it a go. And um, I think it's quite amazing because you told me that you guys were playing at Long Line Festival. Oh, yeah, that was a sweaty moment. But that, but that happened like quite quickly. Mm. You know, that was from like... I don't know, it just fucking seemed like you did one someone's gig at a house or something and then you fucking <laughs> playing it. Long line. That was a wild opportunity for us. So from this is also so interesting for me because I'm not used to talking so much about my lived experience. So uh-huh. I, Yeah. So I'm, you're going through the motions now. I'm going through the motions. Yeah. yeah. Um from when we first started, it was just most certainly about saying yes to as many opportunities as we could. And within the first six months, Longline reached out because they do love to um, hire and work with local talent as well as internationally or nationally recognised artists, yeah, whether that be DJs or not. And I guess for us, like with the new kids on the block... And so we were so overwhelmed and so grateful to to even be thought of um, for that opportunity. And when it came up, both of us were just the sweatiest girls you've ever met in your life. <laughs> like we both had already organised to go to Europe for three months. So Shantz was away yeah. for three months and I was away for 10 weeks. And then the day that I got back, within three days we had to play long line and I couldn't obviously bring my decks to Europe with me I had to go see family and go to a wedding and new cities and locations every few days so I got home so jet lagged shots came over and we just within two or three days met up every single day and just mixed for hours and then played long line um our set was the opening set um which meant that there was about (laughs) Three people there. 
<laughs> but the security staff loved our set. And they were like, are you guys coming back? Are you playing again later? And we were like, sorry, mate, that's it. It's, just it's a savage world, but that's just blood, literally sweat, tears how people the- start, eh? <laughs> yeah. Like, the fact that you played there... And I and I when I'm at like early in a in a festival or like a gig and the openers are playing, I'm like, oh, I feel for them, you know, like yeah, there's just salt in the wound. They they put so much time and energy into making the set or whatever, and fucking there might be like 20 people in the crowd or something, you know, and it's just like, oh, but like I don't know, did that was that how did you feel at that moment? It didn't dissuade us at all. Yeah, I think just to be up on the stage and feel the energy of like the sound that you're actually being the maestro of Mm. essentially playing through those huge, huge speakers, the gravity of that, of just being like present in the moment, that was enough gratification for us to know that we'd given it as much time, energy and effort as we could and that we'd made it onto the stage playing our set. It came out sick. The people that were there that witnessed it and were a part of it loved it. And that's good enough. That's good enough for us. Mm. And it's just continuing to hustle and have those like conversations with promoters and organizers about that time slot. Um, you've got to show up for yourself and and prove that like that you can hold that space. Um, and that's what DJing is all about. It's just like bringing the energy and bringing the fun and yeah, making sure people want to do their two step. You know. <laughs> How do you feel about your DJing now then? Like, do you, like, how long has it been since you first got those decks? One year. One year ago. And one year and whatever date it is today. Because I actually don't really know how DJing works. Like, do you get songs that you like? This is in my head. Mm. You get songs that you like, you maybe pre mix them. Or like I don't I don't fucking know. Tell me, please. I would love to know how like commercial DJs and like legendary DJs do their mahi too. I feel like that's a bit of a trade secret. Like oh. the the actual process of how you get your own mixes is your own magic. Um, for us, we just love finding whatever sound for us, it's always like sound focused. If we really love a backbeat or we really love a lyric or we really love like a little snippet of a song or. You can take that little part of it. You mean? Yeah. You can take that, that part of that song, loop it and like change the pace of it, change the pitch of it, change the bass of it, Mm. um, stretch it out. Make it make it shorter, whatever you want. So manipulating the music. You're manipulating the yeah. tunage. Yeah, the tunage. The tunage, um, like a stir fry, you know, and then whack a moling it all together. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's the element of play that I love about DJing and with music. Is there is so much sound out there, yeah. and there's so many ways that you can really um, tap into that sound to get whatever you want from it. Um, and so for us at the moment, we're deep into like UK house and love, absolutely love hip hop, but both of us are jazz nuts. Uh, So, you know, that silky hot chocolate sound of like someone's beautiful raspy voice, um, definitely makes an impact or, um, you know, an epic backbeat of an artist you've never heard of before or, 
um, African drums or... Yeah, okay. You know, How, it, yeah. it comes from, from every avenue of genres and music, I think. Yeah. For us, anyway. And is there a program that you're using? What's the program? Um, so we just use, so CDJs, and then you download the software for, for that. Yeah, for okay. that. Yeah. And then that you put the music in and it, you can take it apart. Yeah. Some, some. Take it apart, stretch it out, match uh. it up. Um, yeah, there's so much more to learn though. Yeah, I mean, I, I so feel So much like- more to learn. Have you stepped into that space at all with no, with music but, or fiddling Jim, with music? But Jimmy wants to d- do it. DJing? Yeah. Oh, cool. And she just like, yeah, she just like reached out to my mate. She's like, I'm going to start. I'm going to fucking learn how to DJ. And I was like, you'd be a fucking amazing DJ. She's got great taste in music. Yes. And I was just like. Get it, girl. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting for me right now. Do you know what? Women invading like, um masculine spaces I think is such such an epic place to be yeah um it can be se- like semi lonely and it can feel a little bit like you're going against the grain but it's one of the best I think feelings and as like a woman in tiling and then now stepping into that DJ space which is also very much a male dominated yeah. space um there's something really beautiful and refreshing about it. I would, I would, a hundred percent support her coming through and having a, an afternoon on the decks with us girls. Would love that. Bring it on. Is it like it is interesting? Because I, I don't know what it feels like, you know, being a male, obviously, mm. and <laughs> being doing something that you are a minority. I mean, I know it maybe like, is that just being, ethnically. Mm. But like, how does yeah? As yeah, I guess I'm just trying to ask like how. I'm trying to, <laughs> how does it feel when you're doing those things? Like, do you want to spread? Do you want to like spread it and try and get more people to? Mm. It likes it empower empowerment or something. You know, like I can imagine it's yeah. Empowerment's trucks. definitely like is definitely the result of stepping into that space uncomfortably and then coming out of the other side and knowing that you're going to be okay. I definitely felt that when I first stepped into tradie land, I was quite anxious and very much conscious of the fact that I was a minority and still remain to be a minority on most job sites. And it's the anxiety of not knowing how you're going to be greeted or accepted into that space I know that my my mahi and the work that I do do on job sites for clients is beautiful but to be able to hold space on that job site can sometimes feel like you're under the microscope because you're a woman um and from like carrying materials or from you know the truck to to the actual location or Um, there's so much that goes in the back of your mind. Like for me, it's even what I'm wearing that day. I don't want to wear anything that's too flattering or accentuating any of the specific body parts, Mm. for example. I don't want to draw too much attention to myself. So I usually wear a hat or a beanie or um, I'll dress down consciously to make sure that I don't draw attention to myself. And 
Are you trying to do? Are you doing? You're doing that purposely, or are you trying to change your attitude towards that now and be free? I think I do that purposefully because of the way that I've felt on some job sites and have just worn whatever I felt like that day and then felt the eyes on me and that Mm. anxiety and that pressure has, I guess, made my work more difficult in that moment. Yeah. Um, And so it's an outcome thing. I'm learning to be more courageous about how I show up for myself because someone else's actions are their own. Um, And also I have a voice and if I'm ever made to feel uncomfortable, I can, and I'm very lucky to have a beautiful support team behind me of my mentors that will stand up for me. Um, But there is still that anxiety of what kind of reaction might I get Mm. and how may that affect the potential jobs that I get in the future because people do talk regardless of where you are in a city or in a small town tradies talk so there are those sorts of things that I'm still working through as a woman in that space but similarly for women DJs I think there are very similar challenges to some extent I think you can be more courageous in the DJ space with your music. Um, And that's something that Shantae and I play with a lot. We're very much a pro-feminine sound. And um, I remember one of our first gigs we played, Short Dick Man. Have you heard that song? The main lyric is, don't want no short dick man. Um, And it's so beautiful to see all of the women go crazy for this track. I know it sounds anti-male and I promise I'm not anti-man. I'm just pro-woman. <laughs> um, but to see women step into their own power and the way that sound can do that, I think is so incredible. You know, for, for males as well, the masculine sound is most certainly defined throughout the ages. You look at Um, You look at jazz and some of, you know, the most iconic jazz musicians that were also minorities, but also absolute kings in their in their field. Um, They were also coming from a place of vulnerability and strength and and sharing their story that way. And so for us, I think stepping into this space, the things that we challenge are the divine, the divine feminine and activating that now sound. Um, Also, the fact that we're both South African. Mm. Um, and that definitely plays into into our sound and a part of our messaging and that that we want to introduce into that space more and more. Um, but yeah, challenging stereotypes and kind of your everyday mentality around what is normal or what is like hot, I think that's those lines are there to be challenged. So we look at like what's raging right now and it's kind of like, what's the opposite of that? Mm, okay. How can we play in that space? How can we shed a light on some of the things that inspire us or piss us off or make us feel, um, yeah, completely whole within who we are and what we stand for and what we don't stand for and how can we put that out there? Nice. And there's so many ways of doing that um, on a job site with your yeah. art, with your music. Yeah. What do you what do you say to that's a mate that's beautiful, by the way. 
Thanks. Um, <laughs> what do you say to the girl that's kind of on the on the fence and is a bit scared about going into a male dominant industry or hmm. you know you've done it. Yeah. And you What advice would I give? That's such a I think that's such a difficult question to answer cuz I've I have had a few women, actually quite a substantial amount of women approach me about my journey and approach me about how I got here but more so about how I've stayed and that Mm. really fascinates me. Um, I think the advice that I would give is that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. If you have an, if you hear something, if you see something, if you experience something and it sparks like inspiration or curiosity or joy or whatever, give it a go. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? And the people that love and support you will back you. And in any environment that you work in, if you express your needs and those needs are not met, you get up and you leave. You don't have to stay. No one's, no one's holding you there. Mm. But I think the environment is the most important thing. I'm so lucky to have a female mentor in a male-dominated industry. I'd never give that up for the world. But also I have to be proud of myself for showing up and for consistently showing up on those really hard days um, and expressing my needs. That communication part's really important. But the self-doubt is real, you know. Self-doubt, yeah. I think, is, a, is most certainly a muscle that we exercise. But in this case, I think, needs to be exercised with self-love. Like it's the courage to be able to be like, oh, God, I'm just about to perform in front of a bunch of 18-year-old males who really want to hear like drum and bass, but I'm going to give them hard techno from South Africa. Yeah, or okay. yeah. like the courage to enter a job site and be like, oh, God, there's going to be like master builders that have been doing this forever. And yeah, how are they going to receive me as like a female, but also like a female apprentice in their 30s? How do you get – how do you – how do you get, like, for the girl that is in it now and they're just, like, sh- those moments that come up like that, mm. how do you get through that? How do you get that courage back up? And Anxiety's self- real. Like, anxiety's real, fear's That's real. That's a real way. It's, it's, <laughs> that it's was all, a real statement. Yeah. Anxiety's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who the fuck said it wasn't? Totally. But maybe it isn't real. Some days are more hard, harder than others, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um, but find someone who mirrors you. You know, when you walk into a job site, if you give someone a smile and they don't reciprocate, fine. If you walk into a job site and you don't actually feel like engaging with anyone, you don't have to. Um, find your, your safe place, your safe people. And if you're ever made to feel uncomfortable, like whatever that feels like for you, express those needs. I would I think that's one thing that I will never ever downplay ever again in my life. Um whether that's corporate in my uh, like artistic life or even in my personal life. If it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. And it's one thing to feel anxious within yourself, but sometimes I feel like our anxieties play out in real time 
because we're waiting for them to happen. We're looking for them. You know, we're looking for some of those outcomes. And I'm not saying that some of those outcomes won't happen because the reality is that they very, very well could. But it's how you hold yourself in reacting to that, that person's perception that will shape how you're able to show up for yourself. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Handy. Handy percent. Yeah. It's one step in front of the other, I reckon. <laughs> oh, Sammy, Sammy. You, um. What you about, took... what about you actually? Because I'm so curious to hear about the male perspective. Yeah. Because you're very much active in the art space with your um, beautiful creative, creative projects as well. Like your murals are incredible and your pottery. And sometimes I feel like that can be also dominated by the feminine. Like when we think about mural art, we think about like pottery. For you, do you even think about that or is it more that you love to do? Yeah, I don't actually think. I mean, I'm, I guess, I guess in a, it's quite different that male energy sometimes. Not actually necessarily, but I, I just imagine on a job site, for example, mm. that you would get those looks and you could look to feel incompetent or like yeah, look at, uh, I don't know, in a sexual way or whatever, you know, all of those things. I mean, I don't have to worry about that, I guess, that no. side of it. But showing up for yourself, like it's still vulnerable to put a beautiful piece of artwork that came from your your mind, your body, your experience, your creative space, mm. and then to put that into a public space. Like for you, how does that feel? I get what you're saying, actually. Yeah. Um, with, like it would be quite different if 90% of potters were female. Yeah. You know, and then I would go in there and be like, wow, where, where are my male inspirations? Like, those are the people I might connect with more just because of the gender. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I That's not the case. So yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I just do it because I enjoy actually doing it. Whether mm-hmm. there were 90% females doing it, I probably would just be like, I like, yeah, I'm into it. There's not that many, oh, that's not true. There's, there's a lot of Asians now doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I remember having, Asian role models in my artistic journey Mm. and even when I was growing up just like literally like Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and you know yeah like classic but seeing somebody do something that is you relate to in some way is empowering 100% so I see like my favorite some of my favorite artists I mentioned in my last podcast the ones that I named are, are all Asian. I love that. And I go, oh yeah, like it's like, oh right, that is that, that is, is like one thing. of the central things that inspire me is like yeah. people that can connect to your culture and and it's interesting being now the, an artist maybe that is Asian as well, and you being a a, a DJ and a Tyler that is female or creator or whatever, like. I almost do forget about that impact I could have on maybe some some other little Asian. Yeah. <laughs> or other oh, little girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't really think of that. 
but it's, it's interesting like to reflect on that now. Outcome, yeah, yeah. for sure. We're like uh, there are a lot of Asians in the Asian community in New Zealand or something that are really like pushing that empowerment because mm. it's for me I'm just being me, but there's some people that are really pushing woman empowerment and woman or like Asian empowerment and like trying to be like you guys can do it, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, being a central just, point of a conversation yeah, starter and like because some people are so passionate about that. I'm I, I'm not that passionate about that I just do it I'm just like I guess I try and just do and I know that leading by action is the way that I do things yeah I like that I like the way that you put that leading by action because they're only going to know if you they're not going to see it if you're not doing it yeah (laughs) right like you could be talking about this whole thing a lot like you should not be afraid and Blah, blah, blah. But what are you doing actually in action? Anyway. It's such a big topic. I like uncovering what the lived experience is as like an immigrant that has, were you born here in New Zealand? Yeah, I was born here, yeah. But you've been back to visit family. I've been to my, yeah, my grandparents lived in Hong Kong and and get in touch with your Fano. I that missed side? out on a big, a big cultural trip, which I'm really gutted about. Um, back when I was in uni, but I kind of yeah, I, I kind of get it, but I don't really really understand it. I've mm. kind of like grown up so New Zealand, so New Zealanderized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Kiwi. That it's only the stuff that's. I guess my parents have taught me or given me lessons over the years or their superstitions or mm. the way they carry themselves. That's my only example that I, that is direct. <clears throat> but otherwise I'm just growing up in a key, you know, speaking English in school, growing up here, yeah. um, having friends that are from here and oh not gosh, Asian. You I know. can so relate. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because sometimes, like, actually on most occasions rather than not, as an immigrant child, when your parents have grown up from said motherland Mm. and then migrated to a brand new culture, it's almost as if as a child of your parents, in some aspects, you have to dis... I wouldn't say disregard, but you almost give up your own culture to assimilate into society to make sure that you can fit in to find your spot. And, you know, it can be the the simplest thing, like an accent that Mm. will be slowly but surely, you know, um, whacked out of you um, by your classmates or by your teachers or even your own insecurities of someone saying, you know, how did you pronounce that? Yeah. Do you feel like you you try and become more into what your environment is now, right? Yeah. That's what you're saying, yeah. Um, and the the disruption of that I think plays such a huge part in identity because it feels as if, like, you know that your family lineage is from here. Like, for me, that's South Africa mm. and and Portugal. But then I've got this Australian passport now living in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and then for you, you know, you've got, you've got Fano back home in in Hong Kong that are still very much a part of that society and a part of that everyday life. But your parents have been here 
For how long? Well, so it's quite different for me because my parents, my both both sides of my grandparents have passed away now. So I don't um, have people or my my family necessarily in Hong Kong. But my my parents were born here, so oh, I'm were... second generation, right? Which which is why I feel extra Kiwi. You know, like my parents, gotcha. yeah, have Kiwi have yeah Kiwi Kiwi, Kiwi eyesed here also. <laughs> And gotten used to the culture here, and yeah. then, but still, funnily enough, carried down strongly the traditions that the appearance held, mm. you know. And like, do, is that the same for you? Like, do your parents? Do you still hold on to some of those um, those values? traditions oh and values God, as your yeah. from your parents? Yeah, hundred percent. And do you think if you ever have had kids or have them, <laughs> would you feel like you want to pass that? lineage down to them definitely oh okay and in like a very intentional way Mm. I think your identity can be whatever you want it to be but one thing that rings true is is like your heritage and in your blood you know certain smells and sounds and like one one thing I just remember so much about South Africa was the smell of the rain being like one of my favorite things in the whole universe um, and the storms that we get in Johannesburg are like a gnarly. Like we have severe thunderstorms. You'd be driving down the highway going 140 kilometers an hour and a storm would roll through and it just like awakens this smell everywhere from the water hitting the dirt. Yeah. Um, and it's those sorts of little experiences that I want one day when I have kids, I want my little one to experience that same thing in South Africa. I want them to get to know the culture. I want them to get to know the sounds, the language, mm. um, the history, um, the food. Oh my God, the food. Um, and also just their family. I've got so much family in, in you know, Portugal, mm. but then also in South Africa. Um, and it would be a key part of something that I'd like to introduce to, to my kids is spending some real intentional time there. Growing up, because without it, yeah, how can you tell your story? You know, what context do you have? I think by going to that that place and being in that space, yeah, there's something else about about connecting to to your people that you can't get any other way. When you were younger, were you proud to be South African? When I was younger, I. Th- I think I've always loved that I'm South African, but the bullying that I received as a young buck yeah. definitely impacted the way that I spoke and shared that information growing up and the anxiety that it kind of brought having those conversations. It'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm from South Africa. Let's change the subject, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, whereas now, like, entering my, my, third or my 30s, I'm so much more excited to, to share that part of myself. And yes. share that side of my history. Yeah. Um, and also, like, aching to get back. Aching to really? get back. Yeah. Cool. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. For sure. So you're way more prouder now. It's funny how it does that. I mean, yeah. Do you feel that you can talk to that? <sighs> like, it was interesting hearing you say, like, how you want to, how you want to do that for your children and how you feel now. I, I 
don't know if I feel the same way. Mm. Yeah, which is weird. Like, <sighs> cultural. Yeah, I don't, I guess I just, it's only because I identify less with yeah. being Chinese. I mean, I love, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like, when my mum and them talk about these superstitions and maybe the way they, it's beautiful, you know. It's mm. There's something about it that's beautiful. There's some kind of like Magic deep almost? history there and it's something that's been passed down and it's quite special. But it's not necessarily my beliefs as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like I'm like, I don't really maybe have fully dived into it and understand mm. the meanings behind it. You know, my mum would just say like, don't wash your hair on your birthday because it's bad luck. But I don't know <laughs> fucking why, you know. But I but I'll wash my hair now. Like I don't, you know, like yeah, I don't totally. follow the 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 superstitions. superstitions. Yeah. Um. And. I mean, the only thing I love is really the food. And I know that food carries a lot and a lot of the culture. Yeah. And um, I will continue to be interested in Chinese cuisine and cooking. And, and yeah. I think I'd pass maybe That's more ingrained. that. Yeah. That, and, like, those are my fondest memories of growing up as a kid is eating my grandma's, like, food. Mm. Yeah. That's what's important, more important, I think, for me. I love the that. Food. Yeah. Embracing it in any way that feels good for you is like important, I reckon. Yeah. Um yeah. I would would have a few years ago I probably would have agreed with you in so many more of those aspects. But maybe just last year that perspective changed quite a bit. My mum started doing um, a lot of research on our family history and our family tree. Yeah. And the more you dig, the more curious and more of an appetite you get for learning about the, I guess, the life history of those that have come before you. And one thing that buzzes me out is that within our DNA, we hold 13 generations of of our forefathers within us, that d DNA lives on with us now. Mm. And so, That's you know, so interesting. just so curious, like for an example, um, my dear friend Chance, uh, we just did a trip to Europe and she's got French heritage. Um, and she was like, it's so weird. Like when I was in the supermarket there, some of the smells felt familiar for me, but I'd never obviously been to, to France before and I'd never eaten a lot of this cuisine but the smell of it was like I need to eat that like right now like that feels like it's already and within her like within yeah. within her yeah um and same for for me heading back to Portugal you know the last time that I was there was was I think six years old or something yeah and then going back in my 30s so many of those smells and sounds and even like the radio and the TV and the language like I felt like it was deep spiritually deep rooted within me and it's almost as if my programming became irrelevant because I was like oh this is my home like this is my whanau I do have roots here like this ground my great-grandma stood here and worked in that garden and was friends with that neighbor and yeah. 
you know, her famous dish, dish was bacalao and his famous dish was, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever, sardines. <laughs> and then eating those foods and having those like little memory cues of your forefathers and like their experiences and their journeys that came with that and the history behind the food and those recipes tells a much greater story when you know about it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not opposed to opposed to it. I feel like there was definitely a time in my 20s where I was a bit more interested and then, um, yeah, there's still time. Yeah. Yeah, still time. Oh, gosh, it's a long life, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's a long life. What's, what's in the future plans? I, I want to actually ask you what creatively yeah. do you want to achieve this year? creatively um <laughs> artistically <laughs> artistically this year i want to continue to be courageous and brave and shut for myself and i think that looks like getting on the tools creating some prototypes for my child furniture being more intentional about like how i show up for that mahi because that was my intention of doing tiling in the first place um so at the moment I've got like heaps of mood boards and whatnot about like different projects that I could foresee myself doing, but now I just need to put my money where my mouth is and invest in the time of actually doing that. So by the end of this year for tiling like that side of my life, I'd like to do prototypes for some of the, the designs that I have in mind mm. and actually make them mm. and see how that feels. And then musically I would like to play a festival or a gig outside of Gisborne um, and see how that feels. Because we are like a microculture within our yeah. within our own right yeah. here in Gizzy. Um, you get 30 people shot just because they're your mates. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We've got our own <laughs> like, mob that will rock <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which so is cool. That would be cool. You know. Yeah. But one step at a time. Okay. It's the increment, I think, of just, yeah, consistently showing up that part that I think I need to become more consistent with. Do you, do you to, to be fair, now that you've said painting, I'm like, oh God, I should, I should do it. I don't need to be depressed to paint. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you know, do you feel like you plan or have plans on how you get, how you like start achieving those things? Like, or do you just, they're just there, you have them. E.g. playing. What do playing. you like? Could you do? You, do you like write things down and then achieve plans that way, or do you like? Do you wake up and it's a sporadic feel like, oh, I've got to do this today, or? Well, sometimes if I don't know what I'm doing that next day, so like just for example, yesterday, I was like, okay, I've got this podcast, great, cool. Last night I was in the studio, and I knew I needed to go in the studio again this morning to finish off like trimming. Yeah. The, the mugs and stuff um and then I was like I knew that was going to carry me through to this I need to post a podcast that is a day late and put some energy into that yeah and it's it's for me it's really nice and then I'm like hanging out with this person and I know it's good for me to know what I'm going to do in that day or yeah. try to achieve at least because I was just fucking get be lost you're free bullet yeah. yeah, and I'm okay with that too, but I feel like I achieve more if I have semi-structure. 
Yeah. Or have a, a task in the day that I know I'm going to achieve. I love that. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm more of like a freestyler, eh? Yeah. Like I'll wake up with an ache. Like I need to get this done, yeah. you know? What was today's ache? Today's ache is DJ decks. I think I want to get back on my decks and create in that space. Yeah. I've just got a few tracks that keep like coming to me as I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'd really like to mix this song with this song. Do you reckon you can use those truck sounds that are fucking driving by there so loud and you're a little... Oh, 100%. Should we? <laughs> just turn it into like a nice bass. Like, yeah. bow. <laughs> okay. So- I'm no beatboxer, but hey. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, you got to put a bit of time into the decks if you want to get... Yeah. But I've got a question for you. Doing these interviews, what is it that fascinates you about artists and art practice? Like what what was the what, what was, was your reason for starting this podcast and yeah, I guess like giving people the opportunity to talk about the madness that is artists and the world of creative thinkers and doers and makers. Well, I like that there was a bit of back and forth at the end. You asked me some questions and even now it's great. I always wanted it to be more a conversation mm. and just have a chat yeah. about common creative struggles. Cool. Um, and then it's been inter- interesting actually doing it because I just, when I started, I found I was just like, just asking the same people the same kind of questions or like the questions that I had on my mind or it was probably more coming from projection, like the stuff that I was struggling with. I would ask. Yeah. Like I was at the start, I was just asking about like, oh, like how do you deal with social media? And you're like, gives us some tips. Yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. And, and, it, and it ended up being that. Cause I think if you're friends, if I'm just hanging with you and I'm having these, com- these creative struggles, I'm probably going to ask you that. I'm like, fuck man, social media is a fucking bitch, eh? Like, yeah, how hard. do I, how do you do it? Like, how do you deal with it? And da, 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 right? Yeah. Um, so it was just mainly based on these things that I would chat to with my friends in general. Beautiful. But then I get to like amazingly have a reason to reach out to people and other artists. Sorry. Um, yeah, it gives me a reason to, and then it gives me a reason to get into their world and pick their brains um, about these things. All of the things. Yeah. Is it's there a- something that's fallen out of this creative process for you that was, like, unexpected or, um, like, inspiring or that kind of, like, caught you off guard? Like, because obviously we begin these things with one intention, but as they grow and they morph into their own, like, you know their own hairy identity, monstrous, beautiful, crazy thing. Mm. It transforms and transforms and transforms. It's always interesting hearing what people want from it. Yeah. You know, I remember it was at the start, it was like, oh, it'd be nice to have a bit more backstory of, of like the person. Because I'm talking to someone I might kind of already know. Yeah. And if I already know them, then I kind of skip the backstory. And I just straight into it. But for the listener, they'd be mm. like, I don't know who the fuck this person is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. And then I, then I start listening to the outside noise and changing maybe what I'm doing. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, cool. And I don't know if I like that or not. 
Um, yeah, it's just what's the... It's curious to see, like, what people do with their own, like, curious, like, artistic behaviour and how that, like, plays out. I think that's real real cool like when you surround yourself with different creative people the way that they work through their creative process can be so different so different this is what i find interesting yeah yeah and i'm i might hear it but i might not take it yeah you know and then sometimes i hear it, i'm like oh my god that is fucking i always feel quite inspired after having these chats which is mm. i love i love that feeling that's why i love doing them um i'm back on the train as Love I said to you in the text, took yeah. a little hiatus over the um, over the holidays. Over the break. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, like that same thing. It's like you just got to give it time and energy. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember working in film back in the, back in the day in Auckland. And um, a few more logging trucks. It's East so it's so hot in here if we close all the doors. So they're both open and it's it's, it's that these are the things that frustrate me. Like low key, <laughs> like you know, I'm like fuck, man. Like I just I would die in this heat and just do it, but I know my guest wouldn't. <laughs> 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 they would be like, "Why the fuck are all the doors closed?" No, nah, babe, you got the sun right on your back, <laughs> toasted up for the morning, oh, defrosting, I'm if defrosting. you will. I'm in the sauna. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when I was doing stuff in this film job in Auckland, I was like, just kind of the runner, run around boy. And I was like, if I'm doing this, then why aren't I just like putting more effort in? Yeah. Like why, why am I just like cruising by and where I could be putting effort in to make moves to get in a better position Mm. or to learn more or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And I think, oh, with this potty, it's kind of like I'm getting there with that now. Yeah. Like at the start, I was like, it's just going to be a thing. I'll let it chill. I'll just, I'll do the minimum. That was my my thing. I was like, how do I create the pod? Because I'm already so busy. How do I do this with the minimum effort? Yeah. Gotcha. And now I'm starting to be like, it, it needs to be better. Like mm. it needs more. Like why why aren't I doing it now? Yeah, I love that. So Such a good reflection to have because, like, we start something with an intention of, like, yep, cool, we'll give this a go, we'll stretch it out, we'll reshape it, we'll approach it from a different angle. Um, but the forethought and, like, the stuff that happens after, I feel like almost informs your next step. Mm. And it's, it talks to the creative process in such a beautiful way. Like a podcast, we're talking about creativity. We're talking about, um, you know, art and how we show up for the thing that we love. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more to it. You know, the, the, the fact that like in life we go through our own seasons every single year, every few months you know, where we're really optimistic or we're really demotivated or we're depressed or we've just got a new love relationship and, like, how these energies and these outside factors, like, intervene in our ability to show up. Yeah, that's so true. For these things consistently. I think that's such a curious cat of, like, a, um, a perspective 
to put on the table and be like, so what's this like for you? Yeah. It's art is life. Art is life and life is art. Yeah. And all the things that you go through impact your, yeah, your creative output or your creativity or Yeah, your what's thinking. your recipe, you right. know? Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, I was, at the start of the interview, I was like, oh, yeah, there's maybe a bit too much backstory. <laughs> <laughs> and not, you know, but that all in turn just kind of like that shows you how it impacted your curious, journey. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like I've had such an unstructured life yeah. and that's my approach to <laughs> my art. Yeah. And then I feel like people that are quite structured and have had the luxury of consistency. Yeah have had their own disruptions that have affected them in their own way and they'll, they'll so in turn good. approach it in its own <laughs> Someone comes flavor. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I, yeah, that is amazing. Whoa. Um, should we one more question? Sure. Finish it off? Go for it. What's your perfect day? Oh, great question. Perfect day for Sam. My perfect day... Involves a, a perfect day, it doesn't have to a be a perfect the, day. Yeah, a perfect, a day, perfect day. Sleeping in for sure. <laughs> um, love a good snooze 100%. I'm a bit of a night owl, I was born at night, so I reckon that's 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 why my, my brain switches on mm. in the evenings. But I'd have a sleep in, probably wake up to some fresh like OJ, some local east coast OJ. Um, <laughs> Hash browns, for sure. Hash browns for brekkie. It's maybe an egg and, you know, some veggies thrown in there somewhere for my, for my mental health. <laughs> um, walk on the beach, a swim and a cold gizzy gold. Just keep it simple. Good company, Super I reckon. Simple. Yeah. I don't need, you know, gold diamonds or luxury boats or limousines. I just think good company and good people and good conversation. Yeah. That's what's important to you then. Yeah. Definitely. Brekkie, hash browns and fucking good vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. We're going to okay. keep it simple way. Man. All right. Love you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you want to get on the track? Oh, you could do some vocals for you.